Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Pastor Jeremy. Welcome here if you're just joining us. Um, we're delighted you're here to worship with us. If you're coming back from far away or been away for a while, welcome back. We are glad you're here. Um, this morning, what we're doing is we're continuing in First Peter chapter 3, our series in the letter of First Peter from the Apostle Peter, which was written by Peter, the book of Peter, right? Okay. First Peter chapter 3, and what's happening is he's writing to these people in Asia Minor at that time, which is now modern-day Turkey. And just like today in Turkey, the people back then, if they're a Christian, are going to have a very difficult life. There's going to be a lot of persecution, a lot of suffering, and a lot of trials and tribulations. But even though they have to go through that fire, he's assuring them that what's on the other side is way more than worth it. And so the theme of the series that we're looking at for this book is joy ahead, regardless of the path, regardless of the twists and turns, the bumps, the ups and downs, whatever comes, no matter what, come what may, there is tremendous, tremendous joy ahead. And that message that's given from Peter to these people in Asia Minor or modern day Turkey is just exactly the same for us today. Our situation, our circumstance, our culture, our language, our food, everything looks different. But the message stays exactly the same, that Jesus is worth it, his word is true, and the gospel is for real, and in the end, Jesus wins. Amen? Amen. Okay, so we're on the same page, and what that means is, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, there's this tremendously high calling that you as believers have. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's super duper high. That's as high as it gets. He can't say any nicer things about you than that. And this is the reason. You weren't just chosen. Just to be put in a closet and left alone. But instead your purpose in life. Is that. You may proclaim the excellencies of him. What is the chief end of man? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that you may. Proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Here is this high calling that we have, and it is so high so that you can go so low. You've got to remember that high calling in order to be willing to get dirty and do what Jesus has called you to do. That's Philippians chapter 2. That's what Jesus did, higher than anyone, and yet called to the most difficult low position of all. And so out of our calling comes our command. Out of who we are proceeds what we do. That's why it's so important to learn the doctrinal foundations of truth as God declares it in his word. Because you can't go out there and live off moralistic platitudes and make it. You have to know what the foundation is. So Peter begins with the foundation, the truth, the essence, the gospel, and says, from this, this. Now, that's important because I'm going to get up in your grill a little this morning and meddle with your marriage. You ready? And I don't want to do that just randomly jumping in, but I want to make sure I'm standing on solid ground. And that's what Peter is doing here. He's saying, from this relationship you have with Christ, therefore your other relationships should look like this. Based on your bridegroom, you the bride 
should behave a certain way toward your husband. Wait, which husband? That's the question. So, 1 Peter chapter 2 goes like this. 1 Peter chapter 2 starts out, this is the foundation for 3. It says, for you were strained like sheep. Can we admit that? Can we get there? We as people say, we stray just like sheep. But if you're believing in Jesus, you have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Jesus is your leader. Do you remember that choo-choo train I showed you earlier? One with the leader in front, the followers in back, Jesus, us. Jesus is the shepherd. He's the overseer. Never forget that in your marriage relationship or in anywhere else. In any relationship to which you are required to submit, remember who your leader is. Who is the shepherd of your soul, the overseer, Jesus? Follow him. Therefore, based on that, wives, listen up. First Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some husbands do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. But do not let your adorning, listen up, teenagers, do not let your adorning be the braiding of hair and the putting on of jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart the imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight, very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, Sarah's children, metaphorically speaking, if two things, number one, you do good, number two, Do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, now it's your turn. Listen up. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is also really good advice, not just to married couples, but to all people in relationship everywhere. Whether you're a husband or a wife, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, a cousin, uncle, aunt, friend, whatever, you will benefit by applying the apostle, yea, God's relational advice to your relationship. Now, in specific, he is addressing specific in in context, specific relationships. And so I'm going to do that today. And when I looked at it, I thought, okay, husbands, wives, husbands, wives, what am I going to do here? Maybe it'd be easier to start with the men. If I could really beat up on them, then when I get to the women, I'll take it easy and they'll listen to what I have to say because I've just been gruff on their husbands. Maybe that'll work. But then I started looking at the text and I thought, man, you know what? The Bible starts with women. Why don't I start with women? 
I'm going to follow the direction of the text, and if that's not okay, please take it up with the Apostle Peter, not me. Um, this is his advice, and really not mine. And so I'm starting uh, with this command, not mine, but the Lord's, to ladies out there in relationship with your husbands. How can you make your marriage better overnight? How? By respecting your husband. Ladies, if you want to make your marriage better in one simple twist or turn, respect your husband. Now, where am I getting that? Let's make sure it's not Pastor Jeremy. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3, 1 Peter says, These men, these husbands, these guys who aren't always the best, they may be one without a word. Uh, Get that. (laughs) Without a word. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Ladies, respect your husband. Pastor Jeremy, my husband's not that respectable. Doesn't respect have to be earned? I mean, isn't that the way it works? Even in mandom. We gotta earn our respect, right? You will respect me, I'm gonna respect you. We gotta earn it. Firm handshake. Mm. Respect. Right. Respect each other. Does that work that way? Well, actually, the Bible says no. In fact, if you go back to last week's sermon and what you see in relationship to authority, whether it's good authority or bad authority, either way, as you are looking to Christ and not to the authority in your life, whether It's pleasant or unpleasant. Either way, as a Christian, you are called to respect the people that God has sovereignly chosen to put in your life. When you choose to rebel against that and push against that, what you're saying is, God, you were wrong. I'm right. I don't like what you did, and I think I could do it better, so we're going to do this differently. And that is not respectful not only to the authority in your life, but also to God who put it there. When you start feeling yourself struggling in the spirit about who's in your life and why they're there, you got to remember that God is sovereign and for some reason unknown to us, he chose for this person to be here. And so we need to get along with them. We need to go with it. Whatever it is, whether we like it or not, we need to respect the authorities that are put in our lives. Now, listen, I'm not making this up. The Bible is real about this. I'm not saying if somebody's abusing you or hurting you or cheating on you that you just go with it. The Bible has stuff for that too. But the point here is if you're not in physical danger, you're not being abused, and they're not breaking or directing you to do exactly what God says not to do, then you need to go along with it. There's multiple ways to get to your destination, and if it's not yours, it's okay as long as you're getting there. Respect. Your husbands, look, even the bad ones. And guess what? Secret. We're all bad husbands. We're really not that great. We're really not. There's only one husband who's perfect, and it's not me, and it's not us. When you follow him, you'll be able to put up with the other one. If you don't follow Jesus, it'll be really hard Deal with whatever else has come in your life. You must respect your husband. And the Bible knows 
these husbands are not perfect. Let's look again at verse 1. Let me just show you very clearly. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if, oh, some do not obey the word. We're not even talking about the good guys here. We're talking about the bad ones, ones who don't obey God's word. In order that they might be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. These are not the God-fearing good guys. These are the regular old Joes who mess up all the time. Why would you respect them? Not because they're respectable, but because your husband, Jesus, is. Remember last week? He is worth it. No other reason for the fact that Christ is worth it. You are the bride of Christ, and therefore you submit to him because he is worth it. So number one, wives, respect your husband. Now let's talk about what respect is for a moment because, again, in our culture, we probably have the wrong idea of respect. I think I can illustrate this pretty simply from sibling rivalry. If you've ever been a brother or sister or you've ever had children or you know people who have siblings, you know how this works. There's an older, younger, sometimes the middle, a few in between, whatever. Inevitably, the younger is always trying to sort of usurp or prove themselves to the older. And what is the older trying to do? Keep the younger down. And you as a parent are working so hard to say, come on, be nice, don't treat your little brother, come on, blah, 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 or don't do your little sister. And what happens then is what you want. I'm just giving you guys an insight, okay? Hear this, believe Hear me now, believe me later, okay? What you want is for one day the little one to walk into the room and say something and have the big one agree. Like, wow, that was so amazing. I can't believe you did that, but when inevitably happens, the little one says something, the big one goes, oh yeah, well I, or that's not right because, well you think that, but actually... And boom, boom, boom. And what do they do? They cut them down, make them feel smaller. Why? Just to remember and remind them that they're bigger, the other's smaller. That's not respect. All the ladies are going, uh-huh, we've done that with our kids. Now listen up. Our kids are often a reflection of us. When your husband comes in, he's like, honey, I picked up my socks. You know what the right response is? What about your underwear and your jeans and your other old pants too? Oh, like, and when you did that and you bent over, your biceps were like huge. And I was so amazed. I couldn't believe it. You were, oh man, I thought I was looking at a bodybuilding poster. (laughs) What comes next? One works, the other doesn't. It's called respect. You want to make them feel bigger, not smaller. This is the technical definition. I don't know if we put the slide up or not yet, but here's here's the Jeremy, not Webster's. Respect is make them feel bigger, not smaller. They say something, you contradict them, you correct them, you tweak it, you make it perfect. Uh, Amen. Are they want to? Are they going to want to keep talking and have a heart to heart conversation if everything they say gets adjusted some way? They can't even get out the details of their day. There's no way they're going to go going to want to go deep. 
You want this heart to heart, deep, felt conversation? Uh-uh. No. But if they know you're safe, they can trust you. Even though they can't express themselves correctly and they get tangled up and they start talking about feelings, it doesn't make sense because we don't do this a whole lot with our friends. You're affirming, and you're encouraging, and you're listening, and you don't argue. Oh man, I guess this is okay. Well, I can do this. What do you know? All of a sudden, I just shared some feelings. I guess I got more than one too. That's the way it works. You got to build them up. Not cut them down. Demolition's a lot easier in construction. But you want that heart to heart. You want your husband to respond to you. You need to respect him, making him feel bigger. Number one, ladies, you need to respect your husband. Now, let me give you two more specific ways. Now that you know the Bible tells you, not I, now that you know what it is and what it's not, let me give you two ways to do it that the Bible says this is how you respect your husbands. Number one, First way is to be unselfish. Duh. Well, yeah, but that's hard. I mean, some of the biggest does are the hardest things. You need to be extremely unselfish. That's the name of the game. And that doesn't just, of course, apply to women. That applies to men, too. But right now we're talking about we're talking to women. We'll get to men here in a minute. But the point is to be, be unselfish. That's what it means to subject. You know, we get tangled up. We hear the word subject. We're like, uh-oh, here comes that patriarchal dominance, male ego, Blah, 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 blah. No, no. That's your culture talking. The Holy Spirit says that authority is a good thing. You see God the Father being Jesus' authority, and yet Jesus is fully worthy of worship in every single way. He is completely co-equal to the Father, and yet he submits himself. This is the picture of marriage. That's the picture that God designed when he created marriage. Reflect the Trinity. That's why it's so bad when marriages fall apart. Looks like the Godhead's falling apart. Don't do that. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. Marriage is a picture of God. It has to stay together just like He does, and you become one flesh and one spirit just like He is. Three persons, one God, the Trinity. Two people, one one family, marriage. So, wife has to show herself unselfish. What does that look like? Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, co-equal with God the Father, yet subordinate as the Son, he follows the will of the Father. Philippians chapter 2. Highest name above all name, the one that everyone's going to bow down and worship, makes himself the lowest of all servants who dies on the cross. That is being subject. Was that easy? No. That's super hard. That's why you've got Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Be subject. Be unselfish. That's last week's sermon and also Philippians chapter 2. Number one, unselfish. How do you show respect? Be unselfish. Number two. Number two. See if I can remind you of um, what we talked about a couple weeks ago. But here's a couple brain joggers here in this verse. Be watching for a word that you heard earlier in this sermon series, and perhaps maybe these two, um, whatever you call them, will remind you of it as well. First Peter chapter 3. Ladies, this is how you respect your husband. Do not let your adorning be the external braiding of the hair, putting on of the gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. Okay, should we stop there?
Well, let's go on just a little bit further. Verse 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the what? Imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. All right, so what are we talking about here? Well, it starts off and it says, don't let the adorning be external braiding of hair and putting on gold jewelry. Oh, I see some braided hair. Some gold jewelry. Shame on you. No. What's going on here? These are specific examples of things that become imbalanced or over-prioritized if not kept in the right place. That's verse 3. That's the negative. The positive is verse 4, what should be emphasized and what should be your focus. It is not saying never wear gold, never wear jewelry, never braid your hair. If it were, it would also be saying never wear clothes, which we know that is not true. Okay, see here? Includes clothing in there as well. So we want you clothed, and it's okay to braid your hair, and it's okay to wear gold. But don't make that your emphasis. Now, to be fair, there are some Christian groups who read this and say, oh, no braiding of hair, grow it long, never cut it, no gold jewelry. But they stop at that comma, and they don't see the next one. But we need to be fair to them and respect their conscience and say, here's a brother and sister in Christ who are trying to obey the commands of God. Praise be to God. Let's not bother them, but let them do their thing. But for us, who read this part of the verse and the second, we say, okay, it's not just literally going after gold. What it's talking about is this. Here's what the apostle is getting at. He wants your adorning, the thing that makes you beautiful, to be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable spirit. Now, what is imperishable? You remember this? You wrote that. At least some of you did that were here that week when we said what's imperishable and what is perishable. Right here. So, ladies, don't focus on the perishable. Focus on the imperishable. What did we say was imperishable? Clothing? Bodies? Money? Relationships? Energy? All these things we just read about here in First Peter 3. But what is imperishable? The word, love of God, salvation, our inheritance, truth, and Twinkies. Just being honest with the text here. So the question is, where do we put our energy? you spend more time worrying about whether your kids look just right or 
you spend more time discipling your children in the word of God. You spend more time making sure your appearance is perfect or you spend more time concerned for others. See, it's a lot easier to put on lipstick and to hold your tongue. We have to ask ourselves as people and specifically as ladies, what's the point? Let me assure you, the point is not to get into the tightest pair of pants that you can wear. Point to focus right here on the imperishable. You start looking and seeing, am I reading the magazine more? I'm over here. I'm reading Word of God more. I'm over here. Where are you spending the bulk of your energy and time and effort? Peter says what's beautiful is the imperishable and quiet spirit, precious God's sight. This is a picture of beauty, and if you're like me, I'm pretty sure you know what that is, because all of us have seen someone who's absolutely beautiful on the outside, terribly ugly on the inside. Now, before I go too hard in on the ladies here, I want to make it clear, men, this is a lot, there's a lot of this is our fault too. Because a lot of times all ladies are trying to do is just please us. And then we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what are we focused on? You know what? Every time we turn our head, we tell them. If it has to do with body or jeans or makeup or smells, we know where our heart's going. If, on the other hand, our eyes are focused on her, we're communicating the truth of what's really important. She understands what the emphasis is in our lives. She's not looking to please us the wrong way. We need to be very careful how we communicate both directly and indirectly. Because if not, we're telling our wives what we're more interested in is the perishable. What we should be saying is we appreciate your imperishable. Proverbs 31, I think, says it way better than I could. This is what the imperishable looks like. So number one, here's here's concluding the wife's section. Wives, respect your husbands. Respect your husbands. Respect your husbands. Not talking about good, bad, or indifferent. We're saying wives, respect your husbands. Unselfish, focus on the imperishable. This is what that looks like. Proverbs 31. The New Living Translation, so it uh, makes it pop a little bit more for modern readers. It says this, Who can find virtuous, capable wife?
Got one. is more precious than rubies. Husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. Brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. Boys, listen up. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plans the day's work. He is energetic and strong, a hard worker. He was using the snowblower on Tuesday when I was throwing up. To make sure her dealings are profitable, her lamp burns late into the night. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter, even in Michigan, where everyone has warm clothes. She's clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise. She gives wisdom and instruction with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous Capable women in the world. But you surpass them all. Charm, listen ladies. Charm is deceptive. It's perishable. Beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Reward her for all that she has done. Let her deeds praise her. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, that's what a good wife looks like. Husbands, I'm not going to cry over you. (laughs) Honor your wives. Then look, husbands, are you ready? Here's a good one for you. 1 Peter 3, 7. Live with your wife under Standing way. Showing honor to the woman. Okay, Jesus walked on water. He turned water into wine. He rose from the grave. You're asking me to understand a woman? (laughs) Well, yes and no. Here's where the Greek actually helps us a little bit. I'm not trying to show it off or make it fancy or make it complicated, but this one actually does give us a little bit of insight. Um, And what happens is this, is a couple things. I'll get to that in just a second. But first of all, you don't have to understand all women. Nowhere in the text does it say that, right? does not say understand all women. It says husbands with the one under your roof. Oh, by the way, that's why you don't cohabitate. Literal Greek is live with the one under your roof. If you're in the house, should be your wife. Okay, so anyways, um, husbands, in an understanding way, with the woman in your home, what does it mean to understand a woman? Well, 
what's it mean to understand a man? And the reality is, people are people, we're complicated, we don't make sense, we're irrational, emotional, based on experiences, different families, different cultures, different languages, whatever. It doesn't add up. I may like blueberries today and may hate them tomorrow. That's okay. I may develop an allergy to them next week. I don't know. It doesn't mean, men, when it says understand your wife, that you have to have this mystical, almighty, sovereign power to be able to read her heart, understand her emotions, and say and do the right thing at just the right time. That doesn't happen. doesn't mean that. Only God does that. And we're not God. So it's not fair to try to compare yourself to him or to even feel guilty for being him. You're not going to know. You won't be able to guess. But what you can do is, according to the Bible, live in an understanding way. And this Greek word translated understanding is actually the same one for gnosko or knowledge. In other words, the same reason knowledge is spelled K-N is the Greek word starts with G-N, which is like gnu or gno. To know something is based on data and scientific fact. You like that, Midland? Here's what we're talking about here. It's not mystery or guesswork. You need to get to know this lady. Like, for real. You need to figure out, if she wears pink socks on Tuesday, that's your new thing. And you need to check the laundry on Monday night and make sure there's no dirty pink socks. And if there are, you need to wash them by the next morning, iron them, and set them out on the counter. So she's ready to go, and when she gets up and sees those socks the next day, she's like, man, that guy loves me. Why? Because you know for a fact that she wears pink socks on Tuesday. But if you're not paying attention, and you think you're doing her a favor, and you pull out the green ones, you mess everything up. That's the wrong way to do it. That's not based on knowledge. But knowledge is getting to know your wife. And your only job is to know her. Like, you know a lot of stuff. There's people out here in this audience today who know so much more than I do about so many things. The number one thing you need to know about is your wife. You need to know more about your wife than you know about anything else. You got a PhD in whatever, throw it away, get a PhD in your wife. That's what you need to know. You need to know her because she's the most valuable and important thing in your life. The word honor here is value. You need to value her above all else. You need to know your wife. Wait a minute, Pastor Jeremy, that's hard. You know what I do? What? I work all day long. I come tired. I used up my 10 words for the day and I'm done. I don't have any more than that. I know. I don't talk after today. I don't talk for a week. Robin knows that. You may not believe that, but I'm like done. I do not talk for a little while. I use them all up early and I'm like, oh. Uh. So what do I do? Questions. You have questions. You don't have to talk. You there? And actually, even sometimes on our dates, she brings the questions because she knows. <laughs> I am going to, how's it going? We don't want to talk about the laundry and the kids and the work and everything all day long. I mean, that has to be discussed, but sometimes you want a little more. 
She needs the heart to heart, and you don't know how to get there because the best you've got is, ugh. So what do you do? These are from Amazon.com. Not that fancy, right? These are called Family Talk. They got all kinds, grandparent, kids, yada, yada. You can go on Google and look up good first date questions. If you Google one, here, guys, here's some advice. Just put it in your pocket and keep that question and wait till just the right time and drop it on the table. My girl will be like, wow, he has such good questions. <laughs> Man. Before long, your secret's out, so whatever. But here's the thing. All right. Many of you people are cor- corporate folks. You know what to do, how to lead, how to organize. Here's a question for your wife. You had to create a mission statement. For your family, what would it be? Here's another one for your wife. What do you worry about most and why? Flipping the cards. Next one for your wife. Where were you when you went into labor? Hope you're not asking that question. But if you are, you better ask. Here's another one. Same card. Describe receiving the adoption confirmation. Next one. Your family made only handmade gifts for the holidays. What would you make and why? You'll know that question did not come from me. (laughs) That's okay. Who knows where it'll go? Try some questions. Get to know her. There's an endless amount of things about this person that you still don't know. You've lived in the same house for them for however long, and you wake up every morning like, do I know you? And that's why we do fun things here at Midland Free. Like, for example, we're going to have a date night coming up from Midland Community Family Ministries. We'll have a couple comedians here. They'll help you laugh. And they'll also play a little game, possibly a family feud. And it is fun to watch. They start asking questions like, what toothpaste and what socks and what this and what that. And boy, in a moment or two, you're rolling. Because it is amazing what you know about the person who lives right next to you and what you don't know. All of a sudden, you discover it right on stage in front of everybody else. Great. And we all laugh because we know we didn't know the answer to that question either. You got to ask, man, get to know your wife. The Bible says live with her in an understanding way. It doesn't mean magic. It doesn't mean secret knowledge. It means real data, scientific fact. Ask a question, get the answer. And the more of that data you collect, the better you can interact with her. That's the way she works. I think. Honor your wives. Wives, here's what I'm saying to you. Number one, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, honor your wives. Respect your husbands, honor your wives. Your marriage will get better overnight. Father, we thank you and praise you for you are wonderful and good, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Admittedly, Lord, I do not understand myself. How could I ask anyone else to understand? Lord, we don't understand you. We don't understand the depth of your wisdom, the knowledge of your plan, your eternity, your timing, your future, your grace. Yet you give us more. We're so thankful, Lord. We just ask, God, that you would um, forgive us 
many trespasses and sins and our faults. Help us to love our husbands, honor our wives, give you all the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray.